All right. Uh, last week, we uh, did a message that I just called Jesus on Prayer. And so I decided to change that to Jesus on Prayer, part one, because uh, the, the message went very well last week. It was uh, a lot of uh, presence of the Holy Spirit and anointing on, on it, a lot of clear points and things like that. But there, uh, I really covered le- less than like 50% of what I had in my heart to cover because, uh, you know, there's experts and there's experts, and uh, I always say an expert is someone who used to spurt, but uh, expert. Um, you know, uh, I, this might seem obvious, but I think it's worth kind of stopping sometimes on an obvious point and maybe uh, thinking about it for a second and, and just letting it not, you know, not, not be as if it wasn't so obvious and letting it impact you a little bit more. But the truth is there's never been anyone on this planet as qualified to talk about prayer is our Lord Jesus. And there's no one that's a close second. Uh, when I do series of teachings on prayer, uh, I always include a message on Paul's prayers, both the things he says in his letters that he prays for and the things that he requests prayer for from the churches that he uh, has fathered in the Lord and, and has planted uh, and he requests prayer uh, over and over again from the Thessalonians and so forth. And uh, so I, I like to consider, well, what, what did Paul tell us to pray for? What did he himself request prayer for? And what were some of his prayer emphases? But there's no one quite in the same league as Jesus. Excuse me, I've got to uh, tighten my belt one more notch. I lost a little bit more weight than I remembered there. Um, so um, there's no one, you know, pr- if prayer is actually communion, prayer is fellowship, prayer is talking to God. So, you know, one of the teachings I do on prayer is, is called five types of prayer. And I start with uh, reading scripture. Do you know that reading scripture is, is, a, is prayer? Because Jesus told us the mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. And so scripture comes from the mouth of God. And therefore, if you want to know the heart of God, read the scriptures. And uh, that's how you commune with the heart of God. You know, one of the great uh, joys that you have when you raise kids and get all the way to the stage where you start having grandkids and so forth you know, uh, your kids start to understand you a little bit when they're teenagers. Hopefully by their mid-30s, they have a pretty good handle on who you are, but maybe not yet. <laughs> but uh, um, the truth is, I, I love, you know, like when I love playing with little kids when they're that, at that stage where they love to play with your face. You know, they knock your glasses off, they pull your beard, they stick their nose their finger up your nose and stuff. They grab your lips and twist them around. And, and uh, you know, there's one thing to know the presence of God. I would call that knowing the face of God. But it's a whole different dimension to know the heart of God. And it's one thing to know your parents, to be able to say, well, I know what they stand for, what their mannerisms are, etc." 
But it's another thing to understand why. You know, and the Proverbs tell us that if we seek for wisdom, uh, lift your voice also for understanding. Like what, what we are after in life, the number one goal of the Christian is to know the Lord. And there's knowing the Lord and there's knowing the Lord. You know, Paul talking about discipleship with Timothy tells him in, uh, uh, I always forget if it's 1 Timothy 3.10 or 2 Timothy 3.10, but he tells him that you've known my ways, you've known, 2 Timothy 3.10, yeah, you've known my ways, you've known my faith, you've known my teaching. Uh, but he, he ends up, um, in, some, in the ESV I says, it's, I think it ends up with you know my aim. But in, I think in the New American Standard, it's translated, you know my purpose. When you know somebody's purpose, when you can honestly say, I know this guy well enough that I know what motivates them. You know, a uh, friend of mine, the Catherine will remember, named Louis Seberic, came into my office when I was in graduate school at Bowling Green State University, and he said, Weiss, I don't really know if it's the kingdom of God or coffee that really motivates you because I was known for drinking a lot of coffee back in those days. Which I left my coffee. Hey, John, could you grab me my coffee? I left my coffee on the bench unorganized today. I also got to get rid of, I don't have enough coasters either. Here, let's just get rid of this. Then we'll have room. Got to have coffee. How do you speak without coffee? Thanks. Thank you, Lord, for coffee. So, um, in terms of people who know about prayer, you know, Jesus is able to say, if you know me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember when he tells Philip in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and, you know, and He's beginning, of course, this is in the, 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 you know, the Gospel of John is centered around five miracles of Jesus, four of which are not uh, cited or talked about in the other three Gospels, and five discourses or five teachings of Jesus. And John 13 through 16 is Jesus at the Last Supper. And uh, what we call the... the um, What's the word I'm looking for? Synoptic. Yeah, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in their presentation of the Lord's Supper, they give us uh, Jesus giving us the, the, the covenant communion meal, uh, Jesus' prediction that Peter would deny him three times, and in one of the gospels, his prediction that Peter would uh, be restored and then strengthen, and then his exhortation to Peter to strengthen his brethren. And, Pete, and Jesus' prediction that uh, one of the disciples he chose, namely Judas, would betray him. And John gives us none of that. Now, uh, most people think, and I, I think, that John actually had read the other three Gospels when he, read, when he wrote his, and he was purposely emphasizing some things about Christ that the other three didn't emphasize as much, very intentionally. And uh, 
So, um, and of course, that centers around things like the deity of Christ and, and so forth. But um, John gives us completely different material in his, in his recounting of the Lord's Supper than Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. They don't overlap at all. And uh, in, in John's version, Jesus starts by girding himself with a towel and, uh, and then washing the disciples' feet. And he, he does that before he does anything else because he says, I'm not going to leave as an orphan. I'm going to the Father, and I'm still going to be very much present with you, but now I'm going to be present with you by the paracletos, by the helper, by the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to continue my ministry through you. That's basically the, that's why there's more said about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16 than anywhere else in the whole Bible. Because Jesus is basically telling us how are we, how are we going to exist? How are we going to walk with him? How are we going to further his kingdom? How are we going to make disciples? Uh, how are we going to have a clash of kingdoms and drive back and drive out of this earth the kingdom of darkness? Uh, we're going to continue the same mission and ministry he did by the same person he did it by, the Holy Spirit. And so because through the Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, through the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has the most intimate uh, and comprehensive knowledge of the Father of anyone who's ever lived on this planet with nobody even in a close second. It's almost as if uh, if there were running a race and instead of someone just like finishing a half a lap behind, uh, all the other runners actually, when the gun went off, they ran the wrong direction. That's because we, that's exactly what we did. And uh, he not only ran and finished the race for us, he went back and got us and got us back on uh, in the right race. And so, um, you know, Josiah taught about stewarding God's money. And note that his title was very important today. I don't know if uh, it was, give me the three-word title was, Josiah again. Sorting God's money. And I like the fact that, A, you don't own the money. You're a steward of it. You know, that, that would go a long way toward helping lots of parents uh, raise their kids. You know what? They're not actually your children. They're God's children. And you're a steward of them with a responsibility before God. How, you, you don't have a right to raise your children the way you want to. You have a responsibility to raise them the way God wants you to. That's huge. Uh, because lots, of, lots and lots and lots of parents have very idolatrous relationships with their children. But you have to regularly and often give your children back to the Lord and remind yourself they're his children. What would you have me to do? Just like the gifts you have, the vocational calling, the ministry callings, all the things that God has given you ultimately belong to him. They come from him. They work in us through him. 
and, and they could go back to him and for his glory. And none of them belong to us. You know, this isn't Grace Christian Fellowship, uh, your church or my church. This is Grace Christian Fellowship, Jesus Church. He owns it. And therefore, we don't have a right to do what we want in the church. We have a responsibility to do what he wants. And so no one is more qualified to speak about prayer because Jesus not only had a comprehensive knowledge of the Father, and he not only had complete and total perfect fellowship and intimacy with the Father, there was only one time in the history of the universe that the Father and the Son ever had interrupted fellowship, and that was in that brief speck of a moment when his soul became sin. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there was a brief interruption in the fellowship between the Father and the Son that once and for all made our reconciliation possible. But, you know, I, it's, um, I, I've been married 38 years, and I'm gradually getting to know my wife better and better. And she knows me pretty well, as we would say, by human standards. But not even in a significant portion compared to, to what Jesus knew the Father. You know, I don't know her one one-hundredth as much. Right? And... So uh, Jesus is not uh, like we so often are, speaking uh, just from Scripture knowledge that he hasn't lived out or tested. He's he's not just speaking from experience. He's speaking from comprehensive, complete, total, perfect experience. And he knows all there is to know about the Father. And, and the Father knows him totally. And this is accomplished through the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, you know, I started to talk about Josiah uh, talking about finances today, and I, th- I forgot to th- throw in this little punchline. There used to be, a, you know, there's various brokerage houses and investment places and so forth, Merrill Lynch or what have you, and there used to be one called E.F. Hutton. I don't know if they're still in business or not. But they used to have these commercials where they would say, well, well, my advisor is E.F. Hutton. And then they would show like all, this whole room full of people interrupt their, their conversations and they're talking and everyone listen. And, and the, the point was when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. And uh, believe me, uh, if, if all we hear today is uh, this old, bald, fat guy named Greg Weiss speaking about Jesus on prayer, then it's, it's pretty much not worth listening to. But if, as we go through some of these scriptures, if we hear what Jesus is saying about prayer, then it could, it's the most important thing you could be doing with your day. So... You know, I say all that, to, to Roman, Roman numeral point one is what type of expert? Uh, again, there's, n- n- you know, there's been, 
They say there's approaching 8 billion people on the planet. And ironically, uh, this actually is true, uh, nearly half of the people who've ever lived are alive today. So, you know, in the history of mankind, there's been uh, around 16 billion, give or take a billion or two, like the federal government, they don't really care, billion or two, what the, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, a little bit, billion or two more debt. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's not anyone of the 16 billion people who've ever lived that's anywhere near being worth listening to about prayer as our Lord was. And so a couple of these uh, thoughts here in Luke 5, uh, just so you know my craziness, uh, when I write like Luke 5, 12 through 26, then I only have some selections from Luke 5, 12 through 26. I'm trying to suggest to you that if you took this outline home, and thought about this message from the vantage point of reading all of Luke 5, 12 through 26, it would yield some in, uh, good things for you. Okay? That's, that's kind of what I'm going for here. Uh, so in Luke 5, he's, he's uh, recounting the fact, as, as Matthew often does as well, that Jesus healed, had, there were times when there were multitudes listening to Jesus, and he healed hundreds of people at the same time, and he cast demons out of hundreds of people at the same time. Now, it's interesting because in our day and age, about 99% of Western churches don't cast demons out. But Jesus did it as more than 25% of his ministry, somewhere around 25 to 40% of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons in a culture that was a lot more godly than our culture. So what happened to all those demons? Well, if you read all of Scripture, it's quite easy to understand. Paul tells us that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. And so uh, we should know a little bit about, we should have an answer to that question. What, if Jesus cast demons out, uh, and that's what he did more than 25% of the time, uh, was he accommodating himself to the psychological backwardness of his day, and now that we have modern psychology, we don't need such foolish things? That's what a lot of people think. Uh, other people think, well, J- Jesus did those things. But Jesus made it very clear, again in John 14, 15, and 16, that greater works than I do shall those who believe in my name do. And that's a whole teaching in itself, but I don't think he just means greater works in the sense that, that, that an individual work was more stupendous because he raised people from the dead. Or the widow's son is in this teaching, for instance. Uh, he, you know, he commanded the winds and waves and they stopped you know, he did some pretty great things. <laughs> so in what sense does he mean greater works? I think in this sense. He chose to be uh, in a concept in theology called the incarnation. I actually once was talking to a graduate of a Bible college that didn't know what that word meant. And I thought, wow, that's bizarre. But, um, 
you know, Jesus became flesh and chose to be limited to where he geographically was at any point in time. He chose to be limited in the time-space continuum while he's doing his ministry. But because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the church, which is to build bodies of Christ in every locality until the earth is filled with them, uh, he does greater works because he's doing these kind of works in Soviet Russia right now and in southern India and in uh, South Korea and even in America, perhaps Pittsburgh, I don't know. Uh, you know um, but the fact is, Jesus is meeting. It, he is uh, where two or three are gathered in his name. He's there. Not a little bit of Jesus' presence. It's not like uh, the doctrine of omnipresence, that is, that he's everywhere at once. It's not like it's substance like peanut butter that's spread evenly, and so there's a little bit of Jesus spread over Grace Christian Fellowship and a little bit over the Methodist Church down the street or whatever. But all of God is fully present in literally 10,000s of, of meetings right now who are called upon, calling upon his name. And he's fully present, and he doesn't have any difficulty sorting out our prayers. I get confused when two or three people are talking to me, especially if they're trying to talk when the Buckeyes game is on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, so, um, You know, Luke, Luke 5, among other places throughout Matthew and Luke especially in Mark, it, it, it emphasizes that Jesus, you know, did these great things to, with whole, whole crowds presence. You know, in other words, he cast demons out of hundreds of people in a given day and healed hundreds of people and gave a message and he didn't even charge uh, 19.99 for the DVDs or, <laughs> you know, like a televangelist. Um, but, you know, I think that we sometimes miss, look, look in verse, uh, it's toward the top of the page, Luke 5, verse 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Now, why does Luke include that? Because he, he has to. That's the, that's the key ingredient to why Jesus was able to do all these things. Can you imagine, like, you know, I find it hard to get away, uh, you know, with the phone ringing and people wanting to get with you and everything like this. Jesus has thousands of people following, you know, so there's, there's various passages, including this Luke 6 passage, although I cut that part out. The, the dot, dot, dots mean I cut out a little phrase to save space on the page, so you should read the whole thing. But, you know, there's, it's recounting a particular meaning where Jesus is doing these kind of things. And it talks about how people from all Syria, which is actually where Syria would be today and Lebanon would be today, all the way to Judea, which is uh, Judea was the, the surrounding area around Jerusalem. In other words, people have come in a day when there's no automobiles, there's no public transit, there's only walking on foot, or, or perhaps a borough, very few people that were not affiliated with, the, with Roman soldiers and armies would have something like a horse in those days. 
So these people are, are walking some days five and six day journeys in the hopes that they could hear Jesus speak and in many cases uh, have Jesus pray for what, they're, uh, what they need healed from. That's, that's amazing if you think about it. And so, you know, again, it, it sums it up by, uh, after he tells, he's talking about the whole incident with the man he told to p- uh, pick up his stretcher and walk and so forth. And it sums up the crowd's reaction by saying they were all, not some of them, all of them were struck with astonishment and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear. Isn't that an interesting thing? In other words, the, the, the Bible actually endorses only one kind of fear. All other fears are, are uh, contrary to God's purpose and will except the fear of God. If you have the proper fear of God, you need not be afraid of anything else. And in fact, any other kind of fear is actually uh, illogical. Not that there aren't people who really struggle with real fears and we're not compassionate on that and want to help. But the truth is, if we fear God correctly, then there is, that liberates us from all other fears. It doesn't really matter what people think of you. It doesn't really matter how high that cliff is. Doesn't matter how reckless that other person is driving their car. Not that you shouldn't take proper precautions, but it's all in the hands of a sovereign God. So Luke six, the you know uh, Luke five and six, he is one continuous narrative. And again, it says it was at this time that he went off the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Now that's interesting. Jesus, it then goes on to tell us that he appointed the 12 uh, and, to be, and he appointed them to be with him and that they would be his disciples and they were going to be apostles, right? But he appointed the 12 out of a whole group of disciples as, uh, as the, the rest uh, of the verse makes clear. Look in verse 17. Jesus came down with them and there was a large crowd of his disciples. Jesus didn't just have 12 disciples. Right, he has twelve disciples who he named to also be apostles. But uh, in Acts one fourteen and fifteen, it tells us specifically when Jesus had told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem, don't leave the city, but to wait until the promise of the Father has been poured out on you, which was fulfilled at Pentecost. It specifically tells us there were one hundred and twenty people who did that. I've always found that amazing because in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it, it's made clear from the knowledge of the church in that time that it had been handed down to Paul in this particular case, that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. Think about this, because we do this whole altar call thing and we've got it all confused and screwed up, to be honest, in America. Uh, Jesus appeared to more than than 500 people. Only 120 of them were significantly impacted enough that they said, oh, because he rose from the dead, we should probably start doing what he says. In other words, this isn't just a religious thing. Uh, This isn't whether you believe it or not. 
This is the master, the Lord of the universe, who just demonstrated his lordship over all of creation by going from death to life, which only the creator of life could ever do. And uh, we're suggesting that maybe we should uh, actually do what he says. And the majority of people who saw him risen from the dead weren't impacted enough initially to, to do what he said. Let that sink in when you think about our own struggles in our Christian life. When you think about all that God has revealed to us, yet we don't always do what he said. So even with a decision like naming the 12, Jesus spends the whole night in prayer to God. I don't know if you've ever tried to pray all night. I know that we have some group prayer meetings. Uh, some people actually call that a watch based on certain passages in Isaiah and so forth. Uh, unfortunately, the, a false cult named the Jehovah's Witnesses has stolen that phrase, and they call their publication the Watchtower. But... Uh, the Bible tells us clearly to watch. And Jesus picks up on that theme from Isaiah in Matthew when, when he says, watch and pray that you won't enter into temptation and so forth. And could you not watch with me one brief hour? Like when you were trying to have your time with the Lord, couldn't you stay awake for one hour? <laughs> Anyone ever been there? <laughs> right? The most embarrassing thing, I, you know, I read on my phone a lot at night. And I hate when you fall asleep and you drop the phone in your face. <laughs> and some people must have done that. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're reading the Psalms or whatever and, you know, highlighting and going to the study notes and writing, typing stuff in. And then all of a sudden you find oh, the phone hits you in the face because you fell asleep. <laughs> You only get to fall asleep for half a second or so when that happens. It's not very deep and lasting sleep. Uh, anyway, so my first point is just, I, I don't know how to really do this point justice. I'm taking all my time just trying to do it justice, and I don't know how to do it justice. Jesus is not just anyone else when it comes to the subject of prayer. So I'm suggesting that you put more than my message, you put some real thought into what Jesus had to say about prayer and about what he practiced. That's why the subtitle here, Thoughts on the Example and the Teaching and the Results of Jesus. So when we talked about all the healings and deliverances and so forth, those are some of the results. When we talk about how crowds are wanting him, anyone ever been a little busy you know, especially like when you're a grad student or something like this, and you and you have a full time job, and you have three kids, and you know, or whatever. You know, sometimes we're a little busy. Yet Jesus would often slip away to pray, and sometimes even all night. You know, a lot of. A lot of you might know who Paul Yongi Cho is. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the pastor of the famous world's biggest church in Seoul, Korea, that's supposedly about 2 million members. And they have like, 
uh, capacity in, the, in their sanctuary for like 30,000 people or something like this. And they have like eight services every Sunday and only like 10% of the people in the church get to, to attend a service. Most of them have to watch it on video cast. You know, people actually arrive hours early like a rock concert to try to get into the Sunday service. And he, uh, in his book on, on prayer, which he does a lot with the Lord's Prayer model, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and uh, that it was a model or a pattern that we should follow, uh, he mentions that uh, because of his hectic schedule and, you know, pastoring a church of two million people might be a little bit uh, hectic of a schedule, <laughs> I, I would guess. I don't know. Never been anywhere near that. Um, it, and he talks about how he gets up uh, and spends an hour in prayer. He says, except when I have a particularly busy day with lots of appointments, then I get up. Uh, two hours early to pray and pray for two hours before my busy days. So normally he gets up at 5 a.m. to pray, but if, he's re- if his schedule's really full, then he gets up at 4 a.m. to pray. <laughs> so uh, which I thought was an interesting point in the book. I read the book like 30 years ago, but uh, I don't even know what to tell you it's called, but it's, uh, you can find it out there, I'm sure. All right. So based on you know, the, of what Jesus does, that he slips away to pray and that that's very clear, and all of the amazing things that come out of his ministry, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. Now, if you read carefully through all the Gospels, especially, uh, especially piece together the first few chapters of John with the others, uh, you will probably realize that several of the disciples were first disciples of John the Baptist before they were disciples of Jesus. And they switched. So they, were, they had firsthand knowledge. They said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Because they had been there when John taught his disciples to pray. And that includes, of course, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then when Jesus teaches them to pray, he got, now if you look at Roman numeral 2, where I have a Luke 11, 1 through 13, some very important verses for Grace Christian Fellowship that we use when talking about uh, that God wants to give the Holy Spirit to all those who ask him. When Jesus uh, teaches the disciples to pray, Luke's version of what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Lord's Prayer pattern or model is not as uh, comprehensive as Matthew's. So Luke gives us a little bit more of an abridged version. You know, like those, I don't know if you ever read those Reader's Digest condensed books. I'd love to read condensed books. (laughs) You know, just give me the spark notes on a book and forget the book, you know. <laughs> uh, but the, um, so what I have there on the page, about halfway down the first page, the words that are in italics are the, are the extra words that are provided by Matthew that are not provided by Luke. So I kind of did that for you. So you could, you know, when you're not reading in italics, that's in both Matthew and Luke's version. If it's in italics, it's only in Matthew's version. Does everyone follow what I'm saying there? 
And uh, I may end up on this for several weeks because we're about, just about out of time, and I think I'm going to use the rest of my time to talk about this. Many Christian traditions historically have, have made a lot to do out of reciting the Lord's Prayer. It's part of the liturgy of uh, some of the, some of the uh, few denominations, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Anglican, and Lutheran, all have direct connections in terms of if you like who was this guy's pastor, who was this guy's pastor, who was this guy's pastor. Those four groups, you can go all the way back to the apostles with them doing that. Okay, that that's kind of important. So in those traditions, uh, most of their liturgies include reciting the Lord's Prayer. And through many centuries of the earth, of, the, of, of church history, in many, uh, in many geographical places, in many movements of God, in many denominations, memorizing the Lord's Prayer was one of the first things Christian kids were taught to do. You know, uh, Catherine has uh, introduced us to uh, Bloody Mary. Uh, and Bloody Mary, when she was persecuting the Protestants, would actually uh, have a family arrested and and, f in front of the children, the father would be asked, uh, I, I'm sorry, in front of the the children and the father, the children would be asked to recite Psalm 23, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and one other one. I'm forgetting uh, Psalm 23, the Lord's Prayer, and, the one, and one other portion. And um, the kids who recited it in Latin, Brother, uh, Bloody Mary, uh, knew, therefore, that they were practicing their Roman Catholic faith. But it was a major idea of the Protestants that the kids should be able to read the Bible in their own language. That's why Wycliffe translated the Bible, Coverdale, of course, Luther in Germany, and so forth. So if the child uh, recited the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, what's the other one I'm forgetting? The Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23. There's, there's one. No, 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 no. Uh, there's a third one, because no Protestants would have done the rosary. Um, but anyway, it, I guess it matters not for, I'll try to remember this by next week, or you can throw it in your teaching. There's another third one. But if they did it in English, then she knew that the family had Protestant sympathies, and so they would execute the father right in front of his children. And so um, if they... Um, but if they recited it in Latin, then she knew that they were being faithful to the Roman Catholic faith. And we have trouble getting up on time for church. <laughs> I always find that ironic. So, um, so I don't have any problem with reciting the Lord's Prayer or anything like that. Uh, we'll talk... Uh, I guess next week about what Jesus meant when he said, uh, uh, somewhere in my notes I have, that he, he talks about don't use vain repetition. That's on the back page. But 
He's not saying that, that, that it's wrong to memorize a prayer and recite stuff verbatim and things like that. Not at all. He's saying that it's wrong to have like a formula and think that if you say Jesus, Mary, and Joseph a thousand times, you'll, you'll uh, get a, you know, some brownie points and, and all this kind of thing. And that somehow there's a formula by which you can control and manipulate God. Because any such formula thinking is actually witchcraft. And many Christians have those kind of approaches. That's a great deal of what they call the prosperity gospel and so forth. And you, you know, God has to do what your word is because you confessed it and quoted it. And so therefore he's bound by it. And you, somehow you've manipulated and controlled God. And it's, it's actually a form of witchcraft. But the, the reciting of the Lord's Prayer, it, what it should be is not something that you recite as a prayer, per se, but that you, that you know by heart so that you have like an outline in your heart and your head for what to pray. All right, now, I guess because of time, I'll just leave us with that thought, and we'll get in, next week we'll get into uh, breaking down the Lord's Prayer but you start with our Father. Both words are super, super important. So this is what we're going to do next week. We're going to go through the Lord's Prayer model. And uh, so this is what they call a tease in broadcasting. You, you have to come back if you want to hear. Uh, our is very important because you know what? He's not my father and Liz's father and Alyssa's father. And we're somehow like fighting over he was my dad first or something. Um, one of, one, why are we taking an offering for a church that we only know a little bit and they know us a little bit and, and we're, you know, have quite a few ideas that are the same and quite a few ideas that are different because he's our father. And uh, we could be the people, uh, you know, a lot of people put a lot of love and attachment and so forth to their buildings. When I was talking to a lady named Monica that was in the parking lot yesterday. Uh, both the older pastor and the younger pastor were there. There were quite a few guys who have various construction business. There's about 20 people there. And, I, you know, they were a little bummed. You know, this is the building that we've invested in and kept up and kept nice. They just remodeled the sanctuary and did all new lighting. And, and they were partly inspired because the pastor actually came over here and watched all of you doing that here. And he said, we need a facelift on ours because they, you know, they had lights from like 50 years ago or whatever. I don't know if it was that old, but you know what I mean. They, they needed a little upgrade. And uh, that's all gone. So R is so important. Father. And we'll talk about that next week. Uh, so many, so many, so many issues in life start with what I would call fatherhood issues. And we'll, we'll go from there. Who uh, art in heaven. He's not your chum. You know, you know, I like to go out to uh, get a stir fry with Nathan on Monday nights or whatever. But, you know, uh, he's not that kind of chum. But he, he, he is our father, but he's extra-celestial, extra-terrestrial. He's absolutely other. He's... Um, He's outside and above nature. He created nature, but
but he isn't nature. We're not polytheists. We don't pray to the oak tree God. <laughs> you know, uh, but we pray to the God who created oak trees and created the power and the seed of an oak tree to uh, keep oak trees going on the planet for seven or 8,000 years now. Among a million other things. So we'll get into all of, uh, we'll break down the Lord's Prayer like that next week. But it's not just something to be recited. It's very much something to be thought about, meditated on, and used as a guide about what we should pray and what our priorities in prayer should be. So we'll, we'll do that next week.